Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Really good show for a Tuesday or any day, damn it, uh, for today, April 12th. Jean Charest, Conservative Party of Canada leadership candidate on the show, talks about Pierre Polyev, talks about Justin Trudeau, and we go back to some of the roots of when he almost became Prime Minister in 1993. Hockey Hall of Famer Chris Pronger on the show as well. Toronto Sun columnist Anthony Fury. It's packed. I'm wasting your time. Let's get right into it. Toronto Today begins now. Let me start here. A um, lot of interest in Dr. Kieran Moore's news conference yesterday, around one o'clock in the afternoon. And um, the prediction uh, of, of whether or not he would bring mask mandates back and we would become, I guess, basically the only jurisdiction. Some cities are doing this. Maybe you'd note that Philadelphia is uh, doing it. I think this is real and it's really getting poorly received given the lack of hospitalizations in the city of Philadelphia is just shocking. They have a uh, population, by the way, of close to 2 million people. Philadelphia does. And uh, City of Brotherly Love, all that stuff. Okay. Streets of Philadelphia. Okay, you're with me. And uh, they have a population that circles around 2 million. It's not quite there. It's 1.7 million people in Philadelphia. They right now, right now, have uh, fewer than 50 people hospitalized. Fewer than 50. If we were to extrapolate that out to... Ontario, what's that, about 350 people hospitalized? And are they all there with COVID or because of COVID? Great debate. Um, but this is getting laughed at in other, well, to be honest, blue states as well as blue cities to see that Philadelphia is doing this. You can wear a mask. You should have confidence in a KN95 or N95 mask. Um, but putting it back on kids at school is uh, a move too far for some people. We just had, I'm, I'm not, the irony is not lost on me. We just had a news conference yesterday with Dr. Eileen Davila about learning loss and depression and kids un, being unable to connect and socialize with their friends and follow. And some of that's online learning and some of that's school closures. We will rue the day that we closed schools the last two times that we closed them. They shouldn't have been closed in January at all. I said that then. I stand by it. In fact, I think it's been that opinion's been fortified um, and enhanced. And we should have found a way to get kids back in schools probably in May and June of 2021, almost a year ago at this time. They were out right around this time for, uh, remember, there was an April break instead of a March break. And then Easter was actually prior to that. We had Easter a bit earlier in 2021. So, um, look, it's a very contentious issue. The idea of a mandate is an interesting one because I see now that there are school board members in other cities in Ontario saying, well, you know, we just want the choice to decide whether or not masks go back on and we're forcing and reimposing a mandate for fully vaccinated, healthy people. So they want choice. I'm, I'm, I'm just lost on the irony here. They want choice as a school board to take away choice. Okay, sure. Understand. Okay, now I understand where you're going with this in Ottawa right now. We should also point out nobody, nobody, not a person. I'd, I'd give you the name if I knew it. I mean, people's medical business is their medical business. There isn't a person in intensive care because of COVID right now in the city of Ottawa when there is and it changes. We'll let you know. We'd almost break in uh, with that. This is what Doug Ford said about masks yesterday. I mean, they're advocating them. They're talking more about them. That should make some people happy. Here's where he went. I, I think it really comes down to common sense. We've been through this for two years. When you walk into a real crowded room, 
throw the mask on. Uh, no one's going to force you, but I, I would recommend it. Just put the mask on. Okay. That's a different language, I think, as opposed to uh, previous weeks. And I understand the information. This is where the province falls down a little bit for me, is if they provided data about who's getting sick and who isn't, if they provided better data about who's in hospitals right now, who is non-susceptible to uh, bad outcomes from COVID or far, far less susceptible to non-bad outcomes from COVID, that would actually be helpful for the province right now. They got nothing to hide. I look at these numbers. The numbers back them. Okay. You've also got the idea of of uh, antibodies in kids already being there. You know that there's some kids that can't get touched by this, even if they tried to get sick from COVID. They can't. Thank goodness that's the case. Even the most ardent, um, you know, mask zealot will tell you there's a bunch of kids that can't get sick. But we need to look out for everybody. Okay, I'm listening to that perspective here. I'm understanding of your opinion. And the masks are brilliant in terms of doing that. One-way masking is a great thing. If you're an uh, educator, first of all, thank you for educating our kids, and you've got three shots in you, and you have a mask that you can wear wherever and whenever, I don't know, I'll say it again, what's the part of the, that equation you're not confident in? You're not anti, you're like, no one would say that you're anti-vaccine, but you're not as confident in the vaccines as I am. You aren't. And you also seem to be of the mind that COVID can be avoided this month, next month, the month after that, the month after that, the month after that. We are all getting the zones getting flooded right now. It got flooded by Omicron. It's getting flooded right now by BA2. This is an unavoidable circumstance. So do you want to be ready or do you want to be ill prepared? Do you want to be shocked? Do you want to have some sense of normalcy about getting COVID? No one says go out and have a COVID party and get it on purpose. Who wants the flu on purpose? But nobody doubts they're going to get a cough and cold the rest of their existence, and no one should doubt that with COVID. Here's Dr. Moore talking about Paxlovid, which it's amazing who's talking about and who isn't. Some of the doctors that we put on, right, the Dr. Suman Chakrabarty's are talking about Paxlovid. Zane Chagla is quoted in, the, in a Globe and Mail op-ed about Paxlovid. He's going to come on later in the week and talk about it. He's been pushing to get this more well-known, more prominently available to the people who need it. Younger, healthy people don't need it. Um, people that struggle more with their health do indeed need it. Here's Dr. Kieran Moore talking about it. If I have new messaging uh, of risk to any of the citizens of Ontario, I absolutely will come out. We share all of our key messaging, and we did this last week with all of our local public health agencies, all of our health system leaders, as well as our hospital leadership uh, on the fourth dose, second booster strategy, as well as the uh, oral antiviral. Yeah, there's more than enough occasions in which Paxlovid was mentioned by prominent doctors that really want to see this work. Okay. Um, there's an awful lot of people pointing out that mask mandates don't work. They don't work. That's not to say, understand the difference. That's not to say masks don't work. That's pointing out that mask mandates do not. What's the difference? Well, we have, in essence, I think, a democracy, and we have a uh, social contract, I do believe, that uh, shouldn't be forcing individuals, especially after 26 months, from doing things that they feel comfortable with. One of those is having their face uh, being able to be seen by fresh air and other people. No, no, like we aren't changing permanently the social contract. 
do anything temporarily. Obviously, that's indeed the case. It's it's amazing. There's like this generic call for more restrictions that don't work all the time that didn't work during Omicron that didn't work during Delta. OK, it's like the there's so much political motivation here. And if you want the mask, OK, is that the only measure you think that's the biggest measure we can utilize right now? Spell out what you're asking for. Just be honest. I want the government to be honest. I'm holding them accountable. Put the data out there. Let people judge for themselves. You're not giving people enough numbers. So when people see hospitalizations rise, that ends up being a big problem here. By the way, south of the border, speaking of messaging, also problems. Kamala Harris, uh, there's this big gridiron dinner. It was talked about all over the weekend. Jen Psaki, who's the communications person for Joe Biden and the White House, was asked a question about Kamala Harris inside the White House, leaning over 78-year-old Joe Biden without a mask on. But the White House tweeted a video showing her standing over the president without a mask on. Can you explain what happened there? Well, I would say that the vice president and the president and all of us abide by what the CDC protocols are. It was an emotional day. It was a historic day. And there were moments when she was not wearing a mask inside, including in a photo. But she was wearing it 99.9% of the time. Okay, 99.9%. So 999 minutes out of 1,000 minutes, Kamala Harris was wearing a mask in this case. Do we need to remind people what we've been through the last two years? Women were giving birth wearing masks, okay? That's an emotional day and a historic day. I was there a couple times for those babies, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, Women giving birth in a mask, even after being vaccinated, even after testing negative, keep the mask on. It's too important. You know, the risk is too great. You're about to have a baby, please. Uh, People had to go to funerals, okay, with masks on. Well, you can lower it by deliver the eulogy while your mask is lowered. But please tell me more. Tell me more about their effectiveness in the previous five waves. Tell me more about the emotional and historic day for Kamala Harris. So she's, uh, I mean, honestly, we see the hypocrisy. It's all right in front of us. We see how frustrating this is. We see rules for thee, but not for me. And masks are a big part of that. It was always meant to be a tool. It was never meant to be a symbol. Let's get a ribbon with a picture of a mask so you can put it on your chest where you wear your ribbons and you can tell me how virtuous you are. But you don't have to make a 20-year-old wear it walking up and down the grocery store aisle. Let them judge for themselves. You don't have to put it on a five-year-old in school next week for 35 hours a week and then call it a minor inconvenience. It is for me. It might be for you. And I'll wear a mask for the next decade if it gets them off my kids. You know this already. Very pleased to welcome in our next guest. He is running to be the federal conservative party leader, and he's a former Quebec premier, was one of the youngest cabinet ministers in the Brian Mulroney government uh, back in 1986. He was 28 years old. So uh, time flies. Here he is uh, joining me now, Jean Charest. By the way, I know we've, uh, thank you for the time. I know we've both been around a while because I was at uh, Western third year poli size student and you came for a debate in 1993 and i just you oh, were wow. you were so graceful and and i i dignified and i was really really impressed and i if you told me well you'll be talking to him 29 years later on the radio about becoming prime minister you got to be conservative party leader first um you wouldn't have believed it and i wouldn't have believed it either 
And I'm sure your reaction was, it's about time. It's just about time. I'm not talking about the interview. I'm talking about becoming prime minister. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. When you think, I'm sure we had a good time. Well, yeah, when you think back to 1993 and running against Kim Campbell, um, I often say this, uh, leaders often see uh, the train coming down the tracks. I, I, w- I would argue Mr. Mulroney did for the 1993 election. I, I would argue Kathleen Wynne probably did in our provincial election here in Ontario in 2018. Were you thinking, I, w- I could get this job, be prime minister briefly, but I'm not going to, like, the, the election results in 1993 seemed a fait accompli. Did, like, does that go through your mind when you're running and trying to become leader of a party? Well, it's not the way you think of it when you're running, uh, Greg, because you're like a boxer who, you know, goes into the ring. If you're going into the ring to box, you're not planning on losing. And if you are, you shouldn't be in that ring. You should be somewhere else. So you really, you know, uh, your thinking is all focused on your ability to win. And there is no fatality in politics, neither in in life. Now, what you're referring to is, you know, the probabilities. There is a cycle in politics, Mm -hmm. a cycle by which governments... uh, end up, uh, you know, wearing out the welcome mat and and change happens. And people instinctively want a cycle to happen. They want parties to renew themselves. But in 93, boy, what a campaign it was. I mean, we were left. I I was the only one reelected out of 169 folks. And I was left with Elsie Wayne. It was like a train wreck. Yeah. And uh, it really, I mean, and then we had to rebuild. What was interesting was that the 95 referendum made us relevant because after I was involved in the referendum in 95, then it, we could make the case to Canadians that the Conservative Party was the national alternative. And that's really what allowed us to return from 2 to 20 and 97. We're going to talk about your current uh, job application, as it were, but you bring up the 95 referendum. And I remember that real well, again, still being in school. And at the same time, I think, are you surprised there hasn't been another attempt at a referendum in 27 years? I mean, the, the Bloc Québec was gone through different you know, levels of power and, and influence. Are you surprised we haven't done this again 27 years later? Well, we worked very hard so that it would not happen. I went to Quebec politics in 98, you'll remember, to mm-hmm. push back on Bouchard, Hussein Bouchard wanting to hold a referendum. That was his plan. And win a majority, hold a referendum. And in that campaign... In the last part of the campaign, I campaigned on a single issue, no referendum. On election night, we, uh, Greg, we won uh, a plurality of the votes, and you see, won a majority of the seats. And the referendum that he wanted to do died on that night. And I, I'm very, you know, that's that's for us was key. And that's what allowed the country to then breathe and find its bearings. So, can it happen again? The answer is yes, if we're not careful. And you know, Canada is a country of great diversity and regions. The, the national government and the prime minister has a real responsibility to keep the country together. So we should never take Canada for granted. We should not take our country for granted. And that's why I'm running. I know you've uh, you've got an announcement today about parental leave child care. I'm definitely going to get to that. Uh, you obviously had an exchange with uh, the very fine uh, and excellent Evan Solomon on CTV about Pierre Polyev. And I wanted to ask about the comments. Uh, you say Pierre Polyev's support of the Freedom Convoy disqualifies him um, from being, there's a literal and figurative term for that. Do you mean he's not eminently qualified or or he did something of a legal matter that that he actually literally should be disqualified from running for leadership? No, no, it's not. You know, he's been, I don't decide that. It's the, uh, you know, the party that decides who is eligible to run or not. And that's been done and that's been decided. So I'm not the one who's going to decide that or not. And so you're right. I mean, there is a figurative 
uh, sense to it, mm-hmm. but and, and but very serious one. I mean, this is a very, very, very serious issue. If you have the privilege of being a member of parliament, you have the privilege of making laws that you're going to impose on Greg Brady. You're going to say, Greg, this is a law and you have to obey this, right? Well, and you can make laws, change laws. You don't have the option of actually choosing the laws you like and you don't like. And if you go out and you support a blockade, because this is what's about, it's about now. Now, Mr. Poitier seems to be saying something else. Oh, no, I didn't support a blockade. He supported a blockade, which had real consequences on people's lives, on the economy. And if you want to be leader of a party and prime minister of Canada, if you want to be the chief legislator of the country and tell everyone else to obey your laws, well, you can't be above the law. You can't. That is not an option. And I, I've been involved in politics a long time. I never saw that happen. And if you if you behave that way, then I think you should be judged on that behavior. So the concept is he didn't break any laws. He supported the breaking of laws by others. Voila, exactly. He supported. And if you are a legislator, I mean, you can't mm-hmm. go out there. Laws are not a buffet, right? I mean, you don't. It, if you make laws, you can't go out there and pick and choose the ones you like. And it says something about that person. If they actually go out and support people who break laws, well, then, uh, and, and, you know, by the way, we all understand that the truckers and, and a lot of people are tired and frustrated and want to express something. And by the way, the mess in Ottawa, Mr. Trudeau, uh, you know, has a real responsibility in that regard. How did he allow that to happen? He fueled the fire by making comments and painting everyone with the same brush. So this isn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a very pretty picture. This was not a good mm-hmm. moment for the country. I mean, very. this was a very, very worrisome event. And and having then to trout out the Emergencies Act was, whoa, I mean, mm. who would have thought that this could happen? So let's hope that we learn from this and don't allow it to happen again. But if you want to be a leader again, you can't, you cannot. I'll tell you how serious this is. I, as prime minister, would table legislation that would give powers to the police to intervene very rapidly if anyone is doing a blockade on critical infrastructure for Canada, blocking the border or energy or anywhere or or rail lines. And then this would apply to everyone and give them the powers to intervene so that we we don't allow this to happen again. I don't think Mr. Poitier would do that. Actually, I put out this policy and never commented on it. I, I guess he doesn't agree with it. Jean Charest is our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. I think for that period, and I think prior to that, and I think even during the last federal election, Jean, that people said, um, I, I feel really adrift. I feel adrift. I feel politically homeless. I class myself in there. I voted for three different yeah. political parties in my life as an adult. I, I, I want to vote for policy and leadership. And I think we've looked around, especially during the pandemic, when leadership should have should have been vital. It should have been critical. And I think we look in, and I think we say we're, we're looking for for a new direction and, and somebody who is willing to lead instead of just, just being a figurehead. Did that inspire you? Did you, have you heard these comments of people saying there's a void in leadership? I I'd put, you take Ottawa, there's the mayor, Jim Watson, there's the premier, there's the prime minister. And I didn't see, I didn't see it. I didn't see it those first three and a half weeks. What we are, what we're hearing, Greg, is the country needs an adult in the room. We want to, everywhere we go. And this is, you know, across party lines and people, want leadership that is mature, that is going to be serious, that uh, is committed to to making uh, the right decisions. The other thing we're hearing, frankly, from everyone, is that the conservative leadership race is going to be consequential for the country. 
the choice we will make will have a real impact on the future of the country. Are we going to go down the road of American-style politics, of wedge politics and sloganism and attack dog politics? And which I think for Canada, Greg, would be very damaging. We, you know, for our country to uh, practice that kind of politics of, of wedge type politics, American style, would be very damaging given the, the type of country we have. We, we need a Canadian leader who is, believes in the country who's going to practice politics for Canadians, not, not mimic American style politics. Mm. So I'm concerned about that. I'm very worried. And Canadians look at our race and they, they're going to watch yeah. the choice we will make. When you when you sit in 2015 and you're in essence removed from politics, but obviously really engaged, really energetic, and Justin Trudeau becomes prime minister, do you go in with an open mind? Like you said, like like the pages turn and politics change, and and what the what the people want swings like a pendulum. When Justin Trudeau becomes prime minister, did you have hope he would be something that, in your mind, seven years later, he has not become? Greg, we all want you know if you if we're serious about politics and life. We, we want our country to succeed. We don't. We don't want anyone to fail. We, you know, for the sake for the the, the part stupid partisan view of saying we just want them to fail, and we we're the, we're the contrary of everything they do because people want political parties to work toward the wide broader interest of the country. What am I disappointed in? I'm disappointed in the lack of economic uh, policy. There was absolutely, in this government of Mr. Trudeau, went way out on the left. It's all about spending, and it's not about economic growth. That's the basic, I think, one of the basic economic failures. On the international scene, our voice is diminished. I was part of a government that fought against apartheid. I saw Prime Minister go toe-to-toe with Margaret Thatcher and, and Ronald Reagan on this issue and defend the Canadian view. I was part of a government that did the trade agreements with the United States and, and Mexico, the Clean Air Agreement with uh, the United. I mean, Canada had a voice. Canada was was relevant uh, on the international scene, and economically, we did big things. But to do big things, Greg, you need a national government. The country now is divided. We're balkanized, and that hangs on Mr. Trudeau. He's the prime minister. That's the responsibility of the prime minister. I want to become a leader that will be able to unite the conservatives but also present a national vision of the country and bring everyone to the table. That is when Canada is at its best. I think your government deserves a lot of credit for South Africa. I wrote a lot of papers on apartheid in in university, and Canada stood up and said, this is wrong. This is beyond wrong, when a lot of other Western democracies were were afraid to do it. I only got by, by the way, I got about 60 seconds here, but I want you to lay out some of what's in the flexible family-friendly policies that you're announcing today. You looked at the budget last week, it looks like, and saw some people falling through the cracks, and you're going to do something for those parents, it seems. And this is for families and for women, and it makes economic sense. So the child tax credit would be increased for middle-class, lower-income families, up to 75% of their expenses could be rebated. We would take, I would take income taxes off parental leave benefits that parents receive. The federal income tax I would take off. I'd extend the flexibility of the program up to two years. I would allow also uh, eligibility for the child tax credit as of the third month of uh, pregnancy so that parents can prepare for when their children arrive. And why is this important? It isn't just mm. about the economy. It is about supporting families who, and helping them make the choice to have children and having access to affordable uh, child care and giving them some predictability. So it's it's all around, Greg. This mm. is sound, good policy for, for Canada. 
John Charest is our guest. I want, you, I, I want you to come back on in the next month or so. I want to talk about buying that first home, your experience, my experience. Yes. That's everything I'm hearing from Canadians. That's a massive, massive issue. And it's something I think, I don't think many would argue uh, nonpartisan wise. Uh, there's been, there's been failure at a lot of different levels the last seven years, making it more affordable as opposed to less affordable. Will you do that? I would be delighted. I'd be delighted to come on. Thank you for having me on this morning. It was lovely to chat with you. Thank you very much. Jean Charest joining us on 640 uh, Toronto. So excited to talk to our next guest. Um, I'm telling you, this is uh, obviously awesome. Uh, I did a lot of locker rooms with him in uh, in playoff series, and uh, he's he's felt the rush of the people before. He's a Hart Trophy winner. He's the only defenseman to win the Hart Trophy since Bobby Orr, and he is a Norris Trophy winner. And he joins me now, and he's got this exciting new business uh, to speak of as well called Well Inspired Travels. He is Chris Pronger. Boy, if not for Nick Lidstrom, how many how many Norris trophies are we? If that guy didn't exist, if the Lidstrom's way back in the 60s decided, you know, let's just let it be us. You got like five or six Norris trophies, Chris. So you look at you look you're looking at it all the all, all the wrong way. <laughs> what if what if the voters weren't uh, super fans of Nick Lidstrom. It's I, true. It's very true. It's <laughs> yeah, I watched some of those playoffs. You'd, you'd be amazed, as you know, with sports radio. I roll my eyes sometimes. I'm, I'm not in that uh, battle anymore, and uh, I'm spreading my wings. But people would call up and go, yeah, this Lidstrom, he's just not physical enough in front of the net. We need a guy like Pronger. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, How can you upgrade Nick Lidstrom? But you might be the only uh, yeah. candidate for that. You know what? Two different players. Yeah. That's the beauty of the game is, uh, you know what? It, it can, you know, he played a, let's call it a, a, a defensive finesse game. And I played a physical defensive game. So, uh, depends on how you like to see the game played. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I covered, I covered the series when you, uh, ac- your, your elbow accidentally grazed the helmet of Thomas Holmstrom in that wings duck series in 2007. And I know you weren't worried about Nicholas Lidstrom, uh, you know, grabbing you by the shoulder and, uh, and taking you out after that hit. I know that. Well, if, if you look back at the replay <laughs> though, Rob Niedermeyer hit him and changed the direction, uh, directionality. Of that's right. That's right. So, I'm, I'm well aware. It, it got uh, broken down like the, of, it got broken down like the Zapruder film for two straight days. I remember it well. It you do too. It yes, it did. <laughs> uh, this business, I want to get to your, uh, your fantastic um, uh, entry into the career of Twitter. And here's my advice. Get out while you still can go out on top. But um, yeah. well-inspired travels. This is amazing. I'm looking at this, these trips. I'm looking at, first of all, I love the titles. Dude Destinations, Wellness Retreats, Girlfriend Getaways. These sound like Lifetime Movie Network titles, but they're they're actual brilliant trips. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the brainchild of my wife. And uh, um, when I was, I was helping her kind of set things up, well, I was working for the Florida Panthers, mm-hmm. uh, Talon, and uh, you know what kind of? I really, really started to enjoy myself, and and uh, I know when I had a couple of career goals uh, as a kid. I wanted to obviously play in the NHL, but I also wanted to own my own business or run my own company, and and uh, this has given me that chance to to do, and uh, it, it's it's been a lot of fun, it's a lot of work, but uh, but a lot of fun, and and something that uh, has been uh, a chance for me to work with my wife and mm-hmm. kind of grow our business together, and uh, you know I'm not traveling to. The, you know, off the uh, off the beaten path ranks and, and freezing uh, watching kids play hockey. So uh, it's a little bit different, 
and uh, but uh, but fun nonetheless. It looks awesome. Chris Pronger and Lauren Pronger. The website again. A couple people just asked on text about it. Wellinspiredtravels.com. And when I see honeymoons, you're not showing up during the honeymoon. That's not part of what people like. All of a sudden, you don't appear at a candlelight dinner and start telling them stories about Mike Keenan or anything like that. That no, doesn't. Ha- you don't want to no, wreck anybody's anybody's special week. I think. I feel like. No, no not at all. But uh, working on now that COVID's kind of behind us, working on. Uh, you know, some fishing trips and golf trips and things like that, that might, uh, that might be fun and mm. have a chance to do some speaking at as well. So we're, we're bantering around some, some different ideas and things that might be fun. Uh, but, uh, but we'll see how it goes. Chris Pronger's uh, kind enough to join us on Toronto today. Um, it must've taken you for two reasons, Chris, uh, in all seriousness, a long time to come to terms with how your career ended and then how long the recovery was off your career. You're a great inspirational story. And I think it doesn't just come right. You had to work at getting better. You had to be patient. I can only imagine. We've talked so much to athletes who've had post-concussion syndrome. And and to me, that I think maybe that's, that's what your tweet inspired in a way. Your, your tweet's inspired in a way is um, is people just got to count to 10 sometimes. It isn't easy, that that post-NHL uh, career. Nobody really gets to end it when you get to be Wayne Gretzky maybe sometimes, but that's like 0.01% of all NHL players that get to kind of walk away on top. Yeah, going out on your own terms as an athlete is pretty hard and, and very, very rare. Nobody wins back-to-back Super Bowls like John Elway and then rides off into the sunset. Um, you know, typically it's either the way that I went out and, and you're injured and you can't play anymore or uh, someone tells you you're not good enough <laughs> and you're done. So either way, your feelings are, are, your, your feelings are hurt. You know, you're uh, struggling to find, uh, you know, how the, your career ended and then you're looking for 2.0 to figure out what's next. And, you know, I think as my career evolved, I, tr- I tried not to be uh, Chris Pronger, the hockey player. I just wanted to be Chris Pronger. And I think those that can get past the athlete, uh, you know, moniker and, oh, he's an athlete or he's this, or he's that, mm. and, and really kind of get past that. And, and, you know, we turned pro at a young age and then our careers were over at such a young age that uh, you're going to want to do something and, and you're going to want to be involved in some aspect and, and, and throughout the course of your career, even if it's small steps and learning about finances, learning about, uh, you know, what, what interests you and, and, you know, and, and not only just sit there and be hyper-focused on your sport, there's a lot of downtime. There's, you know, you're obviously in your hotel room, you're, you're on the bus, you're on the plane. There's a lot of time for deep thought, recollection, reading, watching mm-hmm. video, whatever it is. And, and certainly uh, you don't want that to, to get in the way of, of honing your craft and being the best uh, player you could be at whatever your sport is. But uh, there's also time that you want to step away, clear your head. And this is, this was a way that I kind of used to use for myself. How tough was a decision? You're, you're getting better coming off um, post-concussive syndrome and you gave people access. Obviously, you know, um, they're, you know, you gave the media that you trusted access to your home, to your environment, to your recovery. I remember seeing the videos of it, watching a game here or a game there. That couldn't have been an easy decision, but I'm telling you, you inspired a lot of people to stay at it. You know, this. a lot of players that play the sport you play or play in the NFL, they close the door, they close the curtains, they shut themselves off and, and isolate. And as we've realized the last two years, isolation will kill you as fast as anything will. It, it'll, it'll just destroy your soul. You open the door and, and that couldn't have been an easy decision to do at the time. Yeah, no, it, it, you know what? I think, 
I had I had already I think that was probably a year, maybe a year and a half. That was that was a year year and a half into my recovery, and for that first year, I I didn't really leave my house much. I didn't really go outside because it was uh, I just didn't feel good. And and as you kind of get past. I didn't want to be around the team much because it's just the questions of, well, you look good. And, oh, when are you coming back? And you're asked asked and answered these questions over and over and over and over again. And uh, when you don't know, when you don't feel good, you just don't want to have to answer them day in, day out. So uh, I stayed home probably for the first year and and then, you know, really started digging into the rehab and and trying to figure out how to get my eye better, how to get uh, my head better. And, um, you know, I know a lot of guys kind of bounce from doctor to doctor and, and, and trying to find that that fast cure, you know, so to speak. And and I, I kind of stuck with the one doc because I wanted to know what worked, what didn't work, and kind of work through the process, work through the steps of, of recovery and, and, and understanding, you know, how I needed to live to, to, to be successful in, in the rest of my life and uh, and to be healthy in the rest of my life. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of stuck with it and, you know, ultimately as you start to feel better, you feel more comfortable, you, you want to help people, but you want to help yourself and kind of get past that, that, uh, you know, stigma of, of being hurt and, and past that stigma of, oh, he's got concussions, he's got this, he's got that. And so for me, it was just about letting people know that I was doing better, uh, for those that were interested in asking. And, and then ultimately for those that were going through the same thing as me to let them know that they're. They're not alone, and and we're all dealing with things uh, in our own way. But but yeah. get out there and, and kind of put the work in to, to make sure that you are getting better. You've been really inspirational in that. Um, I got one last question for. You. I'm not going to ask you to forecast uh, the Leafs, but I want to know from afar. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a fool's paradise, right? You're an Ontario kid. You're well aware they won the they won the Stanley Cup last seven years before you were born, beating out a uh, a, a huge amount of five other teams. But anyway, I digress. This is this is one scenario where I wonder though. Do you think there is it a blessing and a curse to be a Maple Leaf? You never were, but I'm sure you've heard the stories. And I'm, I always make the case, even those Cujo teams, Cujo, Matt Sundin here, those guys, ask Darcy Tucker, Brian McCabe, they loved it. Like, if you're winning, it's a great place to be. I, I've never seen this, like, nobody wants to come to Toronto. It's pretty fun to be here right now and be playing on the line with Austin Matthews. I mean, who's kidding who? Yeah, no, I think... You know, when you're playing on a winning team in a market like Toronto, it's, it's pretty special. And uh, when I was playing junior, it was the Doug Gilmore era with Wendell Clark, and mm-hmm. you know they lost in the in the conference finals to to LA. And uh, I went to a couple of those games. It was, I mean, the, the Garden was electric. And so, you know, I, I know firsthand what it's like to play in play in Toronto when they're when they've got a good team and they're winning, and and there's the buzz in the city, and uh, it, it's second to none and uh you know it'll be it'll be interesting to see they've obviously fizzled out the last number of years in the playoffs and and Mm. you know i I would suspect that with each one of those losses and and how heartbreaking they can be they've learned a lot but again if it was easy everybody could do it and and so you know as they mature and develop and, and the young players on the team the matthews and the marners yeah, they're still young in you know our our view, but they're not young for the league, and they're not young. It's it's not their rookie year. It's not their second year. It's, they've been around now. They've been around long enough to know what it takes and what's going on, and the teams that win and how they need to come together as a group. So, 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they've learned over the last number of years to, to put towards mm. this playoff run coming up. You can check out the website, wellinspiredtravels.com. Entrepreneur Chris Pronger, fantastic follow on Twitter as well, at Chris Pronger. I hope we get a chance to talk again. And again, your story, remarkably inspirational. Uh, a player is one thing, how you played, but the, the man you've been post-career, I think is really inspirational to, to, to a lot of us. Thanks for the time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it. I'm eager to have president of the OSSTF. Um, my dad is probably still paying union dues, although he retired in 1995. I don't know. Uh, Karen Littlewood joins us right now on the show. It's great to have you back. Thanks for making the time for our audience. Thanks, Greg. How are you today? I'm, I'm really good. It's, uh, it, it's, I, I, I'm going to give you the biggest softball imaginable. I was furious on Sunday uh, when I read the story in the Star about rapid tests. I think a lot of parents uh, looked and said, that's not right. Now, private schools should get rapid tests, but um, public schools to get none until right before Christmas. We're four or five weeks into Omicron. I didn't like that. And I, I'm sure you had a reaction and you maybe had a suspicion, as well as many teachers did, thinking these things should be in our schools well before the end of December. Yeah, well, you'll recall um, we had people working in school buildings who were breaking down the little kits that were sent from the province because they just weren't available to people in the public system. Mm -hmm. That reporting by the Toronto Star, unfortunately, was not very surprising to us, but it's incredibly disappointing that that's the way that things have rolled out. Uh, it's, I, I really question what's going on. And what was your reaction yesterday to uh, Dr. Moore's um, guidance? Well, I feel like we're still playing follow the bouncing ball. So what is, what is the guidance? Dr. Moore disappears for a month and he comes back and says, yeah, everybody should wear masks, but we're not going to wear you make you wear masks in the school. And Ford has continued to say that school boards aren't allowed to mandate masks. The Ottawa Carleton District School Board is going to move a motion today to bring back masks in the schools. It's it seems like everybody's got to figure things out on their own instead of having some sort of central direction. The one thing I hear from teachers is they say um, to me, they say, I've got three shots. I ended up getting a booster. Now, I would say the province should have done a lot more. And you and I talked about this in January. They wasted late November, December. Uh, teachers should have been prioritized for boosters. They mangled the booster campaign. A lot of people said, uh, let's get everybody eligible. And they went from 80 plus to 18 plus. And I know there were doctors that advocated that. Those doctors were wrong because then it became the quote unquote hunger, hunger games right before Christmas mm -hmm. with Omicron sweeping over us. So educators should have been more prioritized. Absolutely. But I hear teachers say i've got three shots i have an n95 mask that i'm wearing now not a cloth mask not a surgical mask i feel safe and and i want the choice as to whether i teach without one or not because because they feel progress has been made karen in the last four or four weeks and i am sure you've heard from teachers saying that oh yeah like the members that we have in ossstf range all the way from working in early childhood education to post-secondary and yes they they want things to be back the way that they should be but we're what we're also hearing is i did everything in my power to avoid getting covid and we come back after march break and there's no mask mandate and i got covid there are so many people right now who are sick yep. i'll give you an example of, of two colleagues of mine not sure which one of them is patient zero. One had the sniffles. The other was seriously ill and ended up in emergency. So you're not going to be able to tell which version of COVID you're going to get. And you also don't have that immunity. If you had COVID in, in January, December, you're still able to get it again, which is really terrifying. 
It's well from January. You shouldn't be able to get it two and a half months later if if you've got acquired immunity from January. I'll give you back to the fall, and I'll give you obviously the original strain or or with Delta. But not many Omicron patients are reacquiring Omicron after two months. Well, one of my colleagues had it in February and tested positive yesterday, so it is possible, and that's the information that we're getting from the experts that we're speaking with. I'm not sure which experts the provincial government is speaking with, but what we're hearing is that having BA1, which is the variant in December and January, Mm. does not give you the immunity to BA2, which is the variant now, but there's also BA5 and 6, and there's XE. So there's a lot of opportunities here to get COVID. And what we should be doing is working to try and avoid that transmission, because the more transmission that happens, the more variants occur. Are we um, together in the concept? And I think most people have been in the last two weeks based on everything anecdotal. You're saying certainly people in my life. Are we of the understanding that everyone will get COVID that we weren't and we weren't there six, eight months ago thinking we can dodge and weave and hide behind utility poles and stay at home. We're all getting this. Well, I remember in 2020 hearing some people say 80% of the population would get it. It looks like it's going to be higher than that. I test every day now because, Mm -hmm. you know, I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm fully prepared that I might and that I will have to take the measures uh, to protect. What's happening, though, is because so many have it. For us in the school system, schools are actually closing again. So for the government to have said, we need everybody in school and we need everybody back face to face and we need to return to normal and we need schools open... COVID's winning this right now. It's COVID versus mandates and COVID is winning and the schools are closing. And that really becomes challenging because what it does, it creates more uncertainty for the students who deserve to have something predictable in their school life. Totally. And I think the staff shortages are a massive problem. I would ask uh, what the metrics are by which you see a universe where masking is a choice. What What is the data involved? What are the hospitalization numbers that we need in our province or even in a school district for you to say, I agree, it should be a choice? What are those yeah, numbers? I would say 100,000 cases a day is not a time to be walking around without a mask. I make a choice on my own to wear the mask all the time when I'm with other people. I don't know what the magic number is. And, you know, like I just said, there could be other variants that come up. I think we're all just going to have to do the best to protect ourselves. And by doing so, we are protecting those around us. We're not at a point right now, though, where we need to just be saying, all done, beautiful day in Toronto. We're going to go and, you know, sit on on patios. That's great. That seems like a pretty safe thing to do. We've really just got to watch and continue to test. And we've got to make sure we still have access to those tests, too. We need access to those tests. I'd ask, though, there will be other variants. And if COVID is endemic and with us, why is April 12th any different than what October 12th will be next year or April 12th will be in 2023? What will be different? Well, Greg, I don't know if you've heard from from any experts that it's endemic, because anyone that we're speaking with has has said that it's not yet endemic. When we get to that point, it'll be very different, but we are not there yet. Can you can you point me to a Western democracy or a jurisdiction where mask mandates have successfully pushed down what the virus is going to do over that wave? Um. It's so hard to say with COVID because it's exactly what you're saying. It's waves and it comes and goes in in different areas. And, you know, it's really difficult to track what's going to happen next with COVID. We're not at the endemic stage yet. We have to be following precautions. We have to make sure that workers are protected and that they're healthy. They still need access to sick days because if people are going to get COVID again for a second time, Mm -hmm. 
Do they still have sick days? Are they going to be able to stay home and protect themselves? An anecdote I heard yesterday, so a teacher had COVID, five days, time is up. Uh, Their colleagues are saying, please come back to work because we're picking up the work that you would be doing. What if the person still has symptoms? They should be continuing to take precautions, yet the rest of the workers are saying, we need help. And that's happening not just in education, but in healthcare. It's great to have 3,000 extra beds. Do you have the bodies that are going to staff them? 100%. And, and you'd, you'd know enough doctors and nurses, and I do too, that say that's that's been a massive problem. And that's the, that's the great question is whether... You know, like I I would argue the mask, you know this and you saw Dr. Davila yesterday. The mask isn't simply an inconvenience for, you know, and we're talking secondary schools for a 13 year old to wear 35 hours a week. That's not just an that's not you and me putting it on to go to the grocery store or for me to go visit my father in law in long term care. It's 35 hours a week. And, And for parents arguing for choice, they're thinking that it's endless because they because, again, we're not talking about the metrics by which we would lift. Uh, uh, lift that mandate and choice. The vaccines are great. The masks are great. I, I, I must be more confident in the vaccines and the masks than a teacher that insists that everybody around me protect, protect me by me having both those things. Yeah. Well, you know, we're in the period of normal, not normal, and we want things to go back to normal. Those same students are looking forward so much to having grad, to having their proms, to being able to do things that they've really been missing. We've had a whole group of cohort of students who've missed out on those things because of COVID. Mm-hmm. We want them to be able to, to get to those really important life events for them. And what we can do is to pre- protect ourselves and potentially protect others. I don't see the culture changing in the schools, though, to say the masks are going to come back. You end up with that same battle that teachers have had for so many years about hats in the classroom. And I believe that battle, the the hats have won that one. And and we don't worry so much about that anymore. But when it comes to health and safety, I think it's really important that everybody's protecting themselves. And then by effect, it it really protects the the rest of them around them. Well, I definitely had a history teacher in grade 12 telling me to take the ball cap off. But I think it wasn't a Blue Jays hat. So I do think think he said that's enough of that that's you can't can't be a kansas city royals fan or or something like that i gotta leave it there let's let's have more conversations about this i think they're important for our audience and and i think there's an element where we all want to get to the same place we all want the best for our kids and and our teachers you know what a supporter of public education i am let's have more conversations like this that's right yeah thanks a lot greg you got it karen littlewood our guest uh, yesterday, masks obviously were a topic for Dr. Kieran Moore. It wasn't the only one. And there's so much good news. We are battling about this. There's probably, you know, it's. I don't think anyone's suddenly changing minds about this specifically. I hear school boards say, well, we want choice. Uh, you know, it should be, we should get to choose. And I'm thinking you want to take choice away from parents and kids. That's that's that seems contradictory to wanting to be a choice advocate. You got to think of choice all around, don't you? Um, Christine Elliott said this yesterday about the continued continued um, lack thereof, like in in all 50 states and almost every Western democracy of a mask mandate. Well, as I've indicated before, the Chief Medical Officer of Health does not believe that that's necessary. We knew that the numbers were going to go up, but because, and I'll just quote Dr. Moore, we have tools that we did not have just two years ago, including highly effective vaccines that have changed the course of the pandemic, high vaccination rates that continue to improve as more and more Ontarians see the value of getting boosted, 
to protect themselves, their families, and their communities. We have done a great job with vaccination rate. And I'll tell you, we've done a great job in the city of Toronto with vaccination rate. One of our guests last week, uh, the soon-to-be-departing city councillor, Joe Cressy, and he made his case uh, yesterday as well. Our kids' health and well-being is the responsibility of all of us at the province, at the city, at Toronto Public Health, and the school boards to build a healthier environment for our kids on a permanent basis. Yeah, it is. Now, I would say this. It is not your responsibility to take care of other family members that aren't in your family. It is not your responsibility in perpetuity post 26 months to do that. And that's where the choice, I think, comes in to a great extent. Um, Norm Pasquale is uh, joining us right now. TCDSB trustee. Uh, we haven't had him on in a while and we thought we really should. We enjoy our conversations and it's great to have you on this morning. Thanks for making the time for our audience. Greg, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. I would, I would point out also, just to reset, you were the New Democrat candidate in Spadina, Fort York. You got 34.5% of the vote. And I'm going to say this, uh, regardless of where I, I feel very politically homeless right now, but I'll say this, you should be in Ottawa right now. I'm sure I'm not the only person that tells you that. I appreciate that, Greg. And I, I hear that from the residents of Spadina, Fort York, who are also really upset at their current representation. Um, they deserve a better choice. That's the bottom line. What are some of the things you hear from them? Well, I mean, they're still processing shock that somebody mm-hmm. with, with allegations that the, the MP, you know, has before him is, is in office. They're still processing that shock and, and they want something done. Like nobody wants the status quo of having someone who doesn't represent them in Ottawa. So um, they would love something to happen. But, uh, you know, I suppose options are limited in terms of what we can do. It's the weirdest thing I'd say this um, on this subject. Now, Kevin Wong, I want to reset for our audience. He was a Liberal Party of Canada candidate. They removed him as that party's candidate September 18th. That's their right to do that. He could easily be innocent of these allegations. But my problem, Norm, was that the the party seemed not to do due diligence in a vetting process and... I think Vuong, for lack of a better term, pretended to still be being endorsed by the Liberals right up through voting day. And I had a huge problem with that. Yeah, you bet. And I mean, he lied point blank to the uh, vetting, the vetting people. So, um, you know, there's some dishonesty at play here as well, as well as, um, you know, not being truthful with the Navy. And, and there's a court case on that right now as we speak. All right, let's uh, let's get into issues of uh, education. Uh, we're going to have OSSTF President Karen Littlewood on um, in the eight o'clock hour. Um, I'm eager to hear what she says. What are you hearing? What are you hearing from parents? What are what are the big con- I, again? We've really split down the middle. I want to find the things that we have in common, but 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 a mask mandate's a tough one. I don't think there's many people. Everyone's sort of digging in their trenches pretty deeply, aren't they? Yeah, you know, I, I guess first I was initially surprised. Like the signals we were getting was that mask mandates were going to stick around in schools even after they were lifted elsewhere. And then the day the announcement hit, they were pulled in schools. And it was a very effective safety layer for us. Uh, we have a school um, in Scarborough, which um, had no cases till March 23rd. And now they've had 130 since the mask mandate was lifted. And, and we have absence, absence rates of students and staff of right. like one in six, <laughs> which we never had before. Here's where I go with numbers, though. Here's So I'm going to hit you with this. We had Omicron bounce us pretty heavily from probably late November all the way to December 17th when we when we had our break. We didn't open schools till January 17th in the province and January 19th. We had a mask mandate in place. Why did the mask mandate not prevent Omicron spreading like wildfire when we didn't even have kids in school? I'll talk specifically about schools. If you looked at our COVID dashboard through November and December, the numbers were manageable. We were having something like 20 cases a day. 
Now, if you look at our COVID dashboard, which trustees voted to kind of keep up, even though, um, you know, the, the province decided to remove case reporting from schools, we, we have something like 120 cases a day. So six times what we were having before. Um, so I, I'm all about protecting the school setting and, and removing this, you know, inexpensive and, and very effective safety layer ha- has not helped us. Norm DePasquale is our guest. I want to reset that, of course, uh, spending time with us on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. But now we get to a risk benefit assessment. And you saw Dr. Davila talk yesterday about what kids are going through. I know you're no stranger to that. And I'm sure you heard that on the campaign trail with parents who have kids that are really, really struggling uh, after almost two and a half years of this. And and I think parents need hard evidence, hard evidence, almost like, you know, like absolute guilt this is like a jury trial right now about masks and their effectiveness and and n95s k95s are fantastic and they protect the uh the wearer of those masks so i let's let's take a teacher if a teacher had an n95 mask and three vaccine shots i'm not sure where their lack of confidence comes from yeah and, and the trouble is it's just become inconsistent now so we have um some staff masking some staff not masking some students masking some students not masking and we're in kind of an inconsistent environment. And, you know, what does it result in? It results in, like, for instance, my, my children not seeing their friends at school for four months because they're just not coming in anymore. So, it, you know, when we talk about mental health, like, you know, our, our, unfortunately, some of our students and parents are, are now too sick to attend school um, and where before they were coming in consistently. So those absentee rates kind of result in, in students not being in school. And then their parents not being at work. And then, you know, it trickles up to things like the Scotiabank CEO not being able to deliver his quarterly report because he has COVID-19. So it just, you know, you can see how public health just affects the entire world. Oh, I, I, I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely see it. There's such a ripple effect uh, through the economy. There's, there's, there's no uh, question about that. What's your hope in May and June? What, it, what is your hope for normalcy what's your hope for field trips grads you know this a lot of a lot of parents are saying the prom dresses uh they're they're selling now they weren't selling last year or the year before kids are talking about that graduating from grade eight graduating from high school moving on to university what do you hope may and june looks like yeah 100 percent. i mean our students deserve graduation they deserve it they have worked so hard over the past two years and done everything we've asked them to. So my hope is with warmer weather, uh, case numbers start to go back down again, and, and we, can, we can run some of these events um, successfully. I mean, our students deserve to graduate after all of the work that they put in in, in, in a time kind of unprecedented for 100 years. Mm-hmm. This is the le- this is you know the least we can give them absolutely. I'm glad you said that. Do you have metrics? And I'm going to ask Karen Little with this, so I'm not just asking you and not asking her. I promise I'll ask her this. What are metrics you look at and you say this is where I would need hospitalizations to be in the province or even in in, in the GTA? Do you have numbers you look at and you say? Because um, this is my perspective. The virus is going to do what it does. And we have to you know, allow people to judge. I, I think you and I agree. There's a lot of mask theater that we probably stuck with too long. Wear it into a restaurant. Take it off. You know, you and I are, are you know, uh, workout freaks, right? You and I like our work. So wearing it to the gym, walking up the stairs and then getting to the treadmill, taking it off and then breathing all over everybody. But but I understand the idea the premise of it where people don't have a choice. You don't have a choice at the grocery store or Costco or a hospital or yes, even in schools. Are there metrics you look at and you say, well, if it dropped to X number of hospitalizations, then I'd be comfortable going back and and saying, of course it should be a choice for people. 
Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, it's kind of this kind of sort of morbid focus that I hear from a lot of kind of public health leaders about um, hospitalizations and like, you know, Dr. Moore talked about ICUs for children. I, I want to see zero children in the ICU. <laughs> I want to see case numbers that um, were similar to what we were seeing in October, November, when we were, you know, having COVID-19 somewhat under control in our schools. Um, those kind of things would make me feel safer. But right now, what we have, unfortunately, is explosive growth in the hospital, explosive growth in case numbers in school. Um, thankfully, ICUs aren't climbing much, but Dr. Moore mentioned that, there'd be, that he expects 600 in the ICU, which would be double what we had in January, um, which to me is very concerning. And Dr. Moore also mentioned yesterday, we're expecting six to eight more weeks of, of COVID to run here, which also to me is very concerning. It's con- those are concerning predictions. I think he's high on that. The weird thing is, um, I think we got our highest in January that I see as I look at it right now is 577. I, so I couldn't tell. And I'm being honest, Norm. I don't know if he meant 600 over the course of this wave cresting or six, six, like uh, 400% times where it's at right now seems awfully high. I, I wish he'd clarified that because I honestly don't know which what which he meant 600 total or 600 at a time. That seems really, really difficult to accomplish. Yeah, and, and it's tough when, when we have Dr. Moore on vacation um, in the Caribbean for a week and then coming back. Like, we, we really need to see him a lot more to deliver a strong public health message, to let us know where we stand, because I was very surprised to hear six to eight weeks of continued, mm-hmm. you know, this wave continuing, as well as the 600 ICU number. Like, he, we, we shouldn't have him disappear for five weeks and then come back and then drop these things which were poorly clarified. I'll, I'll totally give you that, Greg. <laughs> yeah. We really need a present chief medical officer of health. I, 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 I'd I say he's he's allowed a vacation. I say he shouldn't be gone five weeks. I'd meet you in the middle there and say, absolutely, we need to hear more from him. And to be honest, and I'm telling you this, Norm, I think the data backs some positivity. It backs the idea that, like you said, kids aren't you know getting hit hard and ending up, we got two kids in a province of 15 million in intensive care. I'd love it to be zero. I just don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's life going forward uh, from 2024, but I got to leave it there. I loved having you on. Let's revisit end of the month, early May, see where you're at, see where your parents are at. And and I really appreciate your advocacy and coming on the show. Greg, it's absolutely always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. Awesome stuff, man. Norm DePasquale, uh, trustee from Ward 9. Anthony Fury is our guest, uh, of course, from the Toronto Sun. Now, you've promised contractually obligated to stay through the uh, 830 news. Is that cool? Because we got a lot to get to, right? Well, let's do it. Rock and roll. It's the least you could do for our audience. They want to hear from Anthony Fury. Um, yeah, the, the 600 number, I didn't, I, in context, I guess I wish, I, I wish there'd been some follow-up for that. I still don't know, Anthony, if that's, I don't think we're going from 150 ICU beds being used by COVID patients um, to 600. That would, that would eclipse the height we had in the January wave. So if he meant 600 total, I'm almost understanding of that over the next few weeks, but I, I don't think we'll have 600 at any one time in ICU beds. Yeah, maybe he meant cumulative. You know, I, I think you make a good point, Greg, about uh, maybe there could have been follow-up on that. I do think what happened was Dr. Moore went to the press conference with a goal of communicating that there are antivirals known as Paxlovid. There are certain people who should be getting them. Eligibility has expanded, and let's talk about that, and let's spread the word about it. Whereas I, I think some of our colleagues in the media went... Uh, not to talk about that, but went to push for the return of the mask mandate. So you saw a bit of a disconnect in terms of uh, the issues that that got follow up attention, I would say. Any thought that that the mask mandate was going to be relaxed or released or uh, or, uh, relented upon by Dr. Moore yesterday? Or did you think that that he was going to hold firm? 
Yeah, I thought he was going to hold firm because when we saw school boards attempting to do a bit of a power play and bring in a mask mandate uh, themselves, uh, Dr. Moore basically sent them letters saying, no, you're not going to do that. In fact, the TDSB, those trustees, they sent a letter saying, we want the, uh, the school mask mandate kept in place uh, for much longer throughout April. You must respond on this Thursday. And then <laughs> Dr. Moore responded on the Friday, the day after their deadline, to say, uh-uh, sorry, guys, we ain't doing this. So uh, he's, he's, he's kind of uh, operating with a few sly moves these days. It, here's where I think the right now, I think the Ontario government's falling down. I think Dr. Moore's falling down. I would I would flood the zone with actual raw data. And I don't think there's enough of that. It's it's not enough to just go on, you know, the the, the website and look who's in hospital and, and who's not right. in ICU and who's in ICU. Let them know who's really getting sick. Again, this is a huge problem from the beginning. I know one of the questions yesterday was, should we gather for Easter? And it made me feel like I was in a time machine to 25 months ago. Well, who, who are we talking about? An 85-year-old, an 18-year-old, someone who's uh, obese, someone who's in the best shape of their life, way better shape than Anthony Fury and Greg Brady combined, I should add. What are we doing? Like, like we, we're, we're not really asking these questions still when we should be data-driven and talking about who's most at risk here. Yeah, I, I actually find it kind of embarrassing that we're still having these conversations when other places have moved on. I see that uh, there's one news outlet that has breaking news. Dr. Kieran Moore went on a vacation to a Caribbean island uh, last week, which is <laughs> perhaps one reason why he didn't do a press conference last week. And I, I think we're supposed to call for him to resign, like when we saw this happen, when we were in the height of lockdowns, but a couple politicians escaped. I look at that and go, oh, OK, well, you know, good for him because that was a lull time and he's been working so hard on this job. Uh, for months on end. And maybe we should actually send those people uh, who think Ontario is in a vacuum and think that we're the only place to lift the mask mandate. We should send them on a mandatory vacation, send them on a tour of the U.S. so they can see uh, how the other half lives, because we are an aberration based on the fact we're still obsessed with this, based on the fact that asking is it safe to gather at Easter is a r- absurd, ridiculous question. To your point, maybe it's a personal assessment. Someone goes, well, it's kind of virus season and I have these uh, underlying conditions. Maybe I shouldn't mm. do the big family gathering. By all means, like, you know, do that calculus yourself. But is this a thing we should be talking about on televised press conferences? Come on. No, I mean, my parents are in the late 70s. I haven't talked to them about Easter yet. I may make that call today, but I want to give them the option. And this speaks sure. to options where, look, we'd have done anything. You could have rolled us into, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a burrito and we would have done anything to save people's lives. And we did that for three or four months to start 2020. I'm not going to I think about that 103 year old man, uh, that war veteran that Elizabeth May was was photographed next to at that party in Victoria. And I'm thinking that 103 year old should get to choose what he does. We shouldn't lock him down. We shouldn't isolate him. And I got obviously, as you know, and you were critical of it, too. Uh, we're coming to the, the one year anniversary of the five week stay at home order, the potential, you know, reintroduction reduction of carding by uh, Sylvia Jones. And right. I just thought that was the, that was the lowest moment in time. Yeah. Don't go for a walk outside. Don't you know, don't let seniors out of their apartments. Don't let kids play youth sports, even outdoors. It was massively like I look at what we're doing, what's happening in Shanghai right now. And I know we're not Shanghai and I know we're not China, but we we made a move more in that direction towards it than away from it. And it's gross. Yes. And there are people who who only recently renounced the COVID zero ideology, but it took them quite some time. And I mean, that's an extreme thing to do that 
to your to your neighbor, to your fellow citizen. You know, Greg, you mentioned using data and bringing up as much data as possible. It's really frustrated me the sort of blunt messaging that's gone on for two years. I get at the very beginning you had to do it, but we never we always amplified. Uh, the stuff that would promote fear and amplified the things that were were less nuanced. Why didn't we amplify uh, the micro data? I mean, we live in an age of, of micro targeting, of big data, of analytics. Uh, yet for some reason, we we pretended we didn't have that, this information. We got people afraid of going to the grocery store. The data always showed in Ontario that 0.1 percent of virus spread was attributed to all retail settings, and that included employees. Uh, gathering in the back room, lunching together. That wasn't just customer spread. And yet there's still lots of fears around grocery store unprecedented. When it comes to your conversation with Karen Little, I've said this a million times, but I'm sorry it bears repeating. When we talked about cases in schools, it did not. It did not mean transmission in schools. There's very few examples of transmission in school. Dr. David Williams said that. Uh, Dr. Kieran Moore said that. And then when you looked back when they were publicly reporting all cases in schools, the number one example one case, one case, one case. That was the majority of examples. This idea of super spreader in the classroom never happened in Ontario once. Uh, Anthony Fury. Thanks so much for listening to the Toronto Today podcast. Back with a live show tomorrow on the Radio Player Canada app or on 640toronto.com. And we hope you can join us. We're right back here where you found us. Feel free to share this podcast, rate it, and let everyone else know where we are. Thanks very much for listening.